or in my case, they make it very punishing if they even bring my name up. Mm -hmm. You know, when my boys were three and five, my ex-wife, I found this out much later, but whenever they would ask to call me or see me, she would just say, oh, you mentioned your dad. Okay, why don't you go grab the toilet? Welcome to Why Daddy Never Cries podcast with your host, Chuck Kelleher. At Why Daddy Never Cries, we'll explore the lives surrounding daddies, their children, divorce, and silent domestic violence. We'll hear real-life horror stories from unsung heroes fighting for the ability to stay in their children's lives. We'll get those voices heard and hopefully find solutions before you lunatics burn the whole place to the ground. Hang in there, daddies. Chuck's here. Chuck Kelleher and Why Daddy Never Cries are providing his podcast as a public service. I've known Chuck for 45 years, and he's neither a lawyer nor a mental health professional. He's not a doctor nor a rogue scholar by any stretch of the imagination. Chuck is simply a guy who's lived in hell for 20 years. Once he found a way out, he drew a map to help others navigate their own way home. The views and opinions expressed by Why Daddy Never Cries, employees, or our guests are their own. Guest appearance on the program do not imply an endorsement of them, their opinions, or any entity they represent. And please, for the love of God, if you have any questions or fears about your unique circumstances, please contact a lawyer, a religious leader of your choice, or a medical professional in your area. Don't fuck this up, brothers, because we're all in this together. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Voss G2, for helping small and medium-sized businesses elevate their brand perception with design. Take your brand to the next level at VossG2.com. We'd also like to thank Harry Duran and his team at Fullcast for their amazing assistance. If you're planning a podcast and you haven't contacted Fullcast, you might as well call your show Podfade. Today we're talking with TJ, a man who's dedicated the past 25 years of his life to protecting abused children. This guy's been a foster parent to 50 children, and he's also been the administrator at an alternative school for abused and delinquent children. And in his spare time, he's an author. We're going to hear about just how easy it is to erase the other parent's name from a household and the different tools parents use to alienate their kids from their divorced spouse. We're going to hear how some parents project their behavior onto their spouse, and that might even give you a warning sign about their future plans. And remember, if you know any divorced dads out there, share this podcast with them. Best case scenario, you save their life. If nothing else, you put a smile on their face. In a world where headlines scream for attention, we choose to listen to the whispers that hold the true revelations. All right, let's get into this. TJ, welcome to the Why Daddy Never Cries podcast. How are we doing, brother? Thank you very much, man. It's great to be here. We're looking forward to it. Where are we calling home these days? Daytona Beach, Florida. Daytona Beach, nice. And it's a balmy 40 tonight down there? <laughs> it is a freezing 40 right now, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of a very unbelievable story, but in a nutshell, we had a judge who turned down the first injunction formally. Really? And she was the senior most judge in this county, 30 years on the bench. My ex-wife did not take kindly to that. Believe it or not, within four days, we were both independent. We had no attorneys at first. I got a call five days after the judge turned the injunction down. A guy says, hey, my name is uh, Adam Warren. And I said, okay, you're not any relation to Judge Warren. Are you by any chance that we have? (laughs) Well, as a matter of fact, that's my mother. But she's no longer your judge. I said, what? She hired the judge's son as her attorney so that the judge would have to recuse herself. Her son put us in front of a rookie judge whose supervisor was our former judge. So that was a whole different ballgame. There were no rules anymore. You got a senior judge's son who's representing my ex, who the new judge is trying to impress him because the mother is- Because it's his boss. Yeah. That's insane. I mean, it was no rules. 
There was abusive litigation, every possible violation of the law. You know, they were giving me 100 pages at a time with no notice to even read it before they presented it to the judge. The final outcome was they weren't getting their way to get sole custody because I had to go through a battery of tests. The final request from them was, well, judge, if you're not going to grant sole custody, can we at least get a permanent injunction against him for, for both girls and the wife? And the judge said, well, there's no evidence to say that he would ever do anything to the children. So maybe I could grant it for the wife if she's that scared. And he has to go through the parents for exchange of the children. That was right into their plan, what they wanted. So I didn't have any say in it. Any history of domestic violence before your divorce, sir? Never, never, never until the custody <laughs> hearings, actually. It, it never even until the actual, you know, hearings came place. And there seemed to be a little bit of panic on my ex's side. And it was just like an overnight thing. I struck with this uh, 911 call and accused of this. And I had to go to court. I ended up going four times, four accusations. She never showed up once. And I finally said, you know, Judge, I'm a social worker. I've never been accused of raising my voice to a kid or anybody else. You know, are you going to hold this woman accountable for taking me four months away from my children, four quarters? appearances. My reputation is at stake. Can you charge her with a crime for lying under oath? Well, you know, I understand your pain, but it's real difficult to tell when somebody's in fear for their safety or not, because those are the key buzzwords you got to say when you're calling in. And that's all they got to do. I'm in fear for my safety. I think he might hurt me. He might. And it doesn't matter whether you legitimately might or not is good enough to get that injunction. That was the first round before the actual divorce proceedings ended. So I still, to this day, have no injunction against my children. There's no contact order. You're free and clear to see them or? Yes, theoretically, yes, I am. What happened was immediately after that court hearing and the final decision was made, within a week, I got a knock on my door on a Saturday and it was two police officers and I was under arrest for violating the no contact order with my ex-wife. And I said, what are you talking about? I haven't seen her or talked to her. And they said, well, she just reported this morning that you called her at one in the morning yesterday and hung up. I said, well, I can show you my phone records. My phone was being hacked and I had just pulled all my records and done a whole research on my cell phone provider. So I happened to have the records, but they didn't want to see it. They just took me to jail. <laughs> so when I got out of jail two days later on um, two days. Yeah, two days. Jesus. The judge that was in the jail, she was actually a, a good judge. She, she looked at me like, why are you even here? No bond or anything. She, you're just free to go. But I was still under the charge. So a week later, the prosecutor, DA's office called and said, we want to offer you a plea deal on this misdemeanor charge of violating a no contact order with no history at all. And I said, no, thank you. I'm not interested. I'm going to go to trial because the cop Great. and the lawyer and her and everyone that's been involved in this, they're going to all show up here and they're going to be held accountable. This was right around the COVID thing. And so there was a delay in in-person hearings. So I had to wait. My public defender said, you know, it's going to be a while if you want to go to trial. It might be six months. I said, I don't care how long it is. I'll check in every week with this guy, whatever I got to do. And I did. I checked in every week. I got a call six months after that. And the public defender's said, I have good news, trial set. And 10 minutes after my public defender says, hey, we got a trial date, she calls me back and says, I have some bad news. The DA just dropped your charges. Hey. I said, what? They've been trying to put me away for this misdemeanor. What do you mean? Well, they just dropped it. That's all there's to it. I said, well, they can't drop it. We're going to trial. They dropped the charges because they never had any intention of being held accountable. They thought I would just take a plea deal out and be a guilty guy. Mm -hmm. 25 years I've been in a court with foster kids. I've never seen anything from my side of it feeling the way, you know, I've seen it, but I never felt it. That's how it ended. There was never, of course, any consequences for anybody, not the cop who corroborated this fake story of me calling or my ex-wife. That was how that ended. And that was five years ago. What did the police do with the inconsistencies? My wife, she's not a savvy legal person or anything. So I'm sure that her attorney advised her, you know, 
just make a call or whatever. She made a call at, and said that I had called her number at one in the morning and hung up. She never heard my voice, but it was my phone. So she called the police and she made a report. He violated this injunction. And she said, I don't know why he's doing this because he can talk to my parents anytime he wants about the girls. Now, the truth is, I had texted her parents four or five times to talk to the girls and they never would respond, ever. <laughs> I had already had the text evidence that they had never responded. So the officer, without even asking her to verify any of that, just corroborates her story and says what he did was uh, this and this and this verbatim for what she accused me of. He didn't go through the parents. He tried to call her. She feels in fear for her safety. All these things that never happened. And he, he wrote it right on the police report as if he had seen it on the, her cell phone or their cell, which was a lie. And I had the records. And that's why I wanted to go to court. Cell phones are simple. I mean, you open up your phone, you can show your history. I mean, yes, you can you delete a call? Sure, you can delete a particular call, but it's very easy to prove anything digital these days. Absolutely. And that call they accused me of making, I showed him my phone. This has been on open number. You can see my number anytime I call anybody. If I was trying to sneak a call on, I wouldn't leave my number on there. And why would I call anyway and hang up? I mean, what's the point? Right. I'm not 13. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, I'm, not, I'm not 15. And then to top it off, the charges are dismissed. That really launched me into wondering why is this court system so dead set on dividing these families and forcing these kids either into foster care or into uh, away from their dad or away from their mom or why why are they so bent against us? And then there a whole another thing opened up and that's another topic about the financial rewards for people that remove children from families. You know, there's a, big, a lot of money involved in that breaking up families. It's a business. Do you know any of the statistics for foster care? I can tell you that 90% of the kids that are trafficked have come out of foster care. Really? Yeah. That's because they don't have anywhere to go. And it takes about 42 months to actually place a child in a foster care home permanent. So they're just bouncing around from shelter to shelter. The statistics I read recently, most recently, was that out of the CPS and DCF, who are the people who remove the children from the home, something like 35 or 36% of the times they removed the kids, it was absolutely unwarranted. There wasn't even any sign, hint of neglect or abuse on the parents' part. But these people are encouraged to bear on the side of caution mm -hmm. because there's a lot of money. When they shove kids into either institution or foster care, there's big money kickbacks for that. And one of the people on the show with me, and it's all she does, called Rescue the Fosters, and she's out of Georgia. I saw that. Yeah, they really, really can lay out some hardcore data um, that's up to date. And, you know, John Walsh is from America's Most Wanted. Mm -hmm. Megan Walsh is a friend of mine. She lives here in Florida. People don't even have a hard time believing this. But Me Megan is a, has a master's degree in counseling. She got out of the Hollywood thing with her parents when they became well-known and just got out of that scene because it was very, very ugly. And she got her degree in counseling and just had four kids. She finally called her dad out and her mom of their involvement in human trafficking, believe it or not. And as a her consequence for calling him out on this publicly and confronting him was that he just made a phone call to his hometown of South Florida, where she lives, and had them come and remove her children. One was five days old, one was eight years old, 10 years old, and I think 11. It's all on video. There's no charges against her, no, no abuse charges. They drug her through court for two years. Nobody was allowed in the court hearings, but her and John Walsh's representative. Mm -hmm. The judge, believe it or not, this judge in this two-year-long deal in Florida was the former sheriff 25, 30 years ago that investigated Adam Walsh's death with John Walsh. Oh, my God. So, yeah, her house was taken away, her car. She has nothing. She had to live with somebody else right now. Her dad stripped her of every single thing. Now, you'd think, well, maybe dad really was concerned and he wanted to take care of his grandchildren. No, he put him in foster care.
I know that our listeners out there are going to be like, this is all, you know, this is make-believe or whatever, but you sent me some links. If you could resend me, email me those links. I'll have them in the show notes. So any doubters out there can look this up. I will. You cannot just look it up. They can go on Twitter and any Megan Walsh's post, she has video documents, every single court date, the police coming, surrounding her house and taking her children. And she's saying on video, what am I being charged with? Nothing. She's never arrested. Just taking them because they can. That's the corruption in law enforcement. And it, it goes up many different areas, as you know, into other realms, but it is very ugly and there's lots of reasons behind it. The people that are in the authority positions that we all thought were the ones we want to get to are usually the ones that are the worst people and they're not in it for the right reasons at all. Hmm. They welcome you to come up to them and tell them everything you know. She, I got emails from the KBI, the FBI in Kansas that fly me out there and come on, tell us what you know about the clergy abuse. Heck no, I'm not going out there. I'll never come back. <laughs> They want to you to come up there and they know you know something. So, yeah, it's across the board. It's very ugly and it does take a little bit of research. People would have to go and look at these things and say, wow, it really is true. I, I don't ever talk about anything that I haven't verified myself, ever. Especially in this world with, with all the lies and crap that's out there. Yeah, absolutely. Let's circle back around to your kids. How many do you have? I have four. I have two boys and two girls. My two boys are grown and my one son is a professional athlete and so I was taking him at 12 and 13, 14 years to train for what he does and hoping and praying that he would become what he has become. And he did it. And now I just don't have very little communication with him because of several reasons. But the manipulation by their mom, or in my case, they make it very punishing if they even bring my name up. Mm -hmm. You know, when my boys were three and five, my ex-wife found this out much later. But whenever they would ask to call me or see me, immediately she would have them scrub the toilets. As a consequence. Really? Yeah. So she was a behaviorist. So she worked in the same field that I did when they were young. She would just say, oh, you mentioned your dad. Okay, why don't you go clean it? And they hated it. So obviously they didn't mention my name very much. And I didn't find this out too much later. But as adults, it's no different. It's just a different tool they use. Yeah. Mom and dad can do very good job of making it punishing for even an adult child to mention the other, even if they want to talk about the other parent. And that's what's happening. My strategy on this was not to do what she's doing. I'm pushing out what I've always done, the public protection of children. It's nothing new to me. I've done this my whole career. They can look back and see that. But I'm not going to engage and take the bait in my case because that will just muddy the water for me. And they'll look at both of us and say, who knows who's telling the truth? You know what I mean? Right. It breaks my heart every day to not be able to. My girls are only, you know, teen, teenagers are two years apart. They're professional dancers. They go out and do tap and ballet dance recitals together. Nice. My mother, who is very, was very close to them. My daughter was seven and a half when she left here. I took a walk with my mom about a month. They used to go to the pool every day and swim during the summer. And my mom said this to me before they ever left. She said, Emily said something to me that she wasn't going to be able to see me very much in the future until, you know, probably a long time. I said, really? And I didn't think much of it at the time, but then I realized she knew that this was all oh, God. something that was kind of like, this is what's going to happen. Yeah, I have no contact with my kids. I, I do talk to my son who's an athlete occasionally. He's not rejecting me or anything, but we were so tight, we couldn't separate us. We used to go everywhere together. And now it's kind of like, I don't hear from my older son. He's totally under the thumb of his mom. And I don't want to put any more pressure on him by making him choose, you know? Right. My other son, who's kind of, he's independent, he's 25, married, he's doing great. If I could talk to him, i just congratulate and say, I'm happy for you. I hope you're doing great. I never bring up anything about that because he's 25, he's an adult. When he wants to know, if he wants to know, he'll know. And that's not my job. Now, how hard is it? Now, I have a 20-year-old and 18-year-old, as we discussed. Mm -hmm. And I've really tried my hardest not to say anything bad about their mom, mm -hmm. but with the constant barrage, every now and then something slips out and, you, and then you right. kick yourself in the ass for opening your mouth. Right. 
What's stopping you from talking to your son at 25? Because everyone says 25, 26, tell him everything. What stops me is because I have this rewound tape in my head of his mother repeating over and over and over to him, even as an adult, your dad, he's going to tell you this and this and this. And when he does, I'm sure that immediately if I do what he's been programmed that that I'm going to do, it's going to be over for me for the first round of that. Who's really guilty? Mm Mm-hmm. So by not engaging in the things she's told him about me or whatever she told, it's always bad stuff. If I'm not doing anything bad to him or talking bad about her, and I'm actually acting opposite of how she is, at some point in their life, they've got to realize at some point that, you know, this is kind of weird because he's the guy that's supposed to be the evil one. Yeah. That is what I base my hope on. That is that is it. So I've had a couple of conversations with my daughters and I've come to almost the same conclusion as you. And, you know, everybody's different. You know, that opening you had might have been perfectly appropriate in your situation. For me, that wasn't the scene that I was put in. So I knew that it was a big gamble. And I really, honestly, I know better than that. That's not what I, I don't want to do what she's doing. I don't want to talk bad about That's just, yeah. that's not me. That's not who I am. I'm not perfect. I've made mistakes in the past. Nothing to do with what, what I'm being accused of. But I've had problems. I got a DUI 25 years ago and I had to, you know, go to rehab. Mm-hmm. I don't, I'm very open about it. I've told everybody I was going to rehab. Hey, I need to go to rehab. Nope. I don't, I don't hide nothing. And when I make a mistake, I do my best to write it. I had a meeting with my family. I said, look, it's, this is my fault. I, I hope you don't suffer too much. I'm going right away to address this. I just how I do things. I'm not perfect. But I always try to make sure that my reach is way higher than my grasp every day because I try to get better and better and better every day. That's excellent. I do the same thing. In fact, I was telling my daughters and my sister passed away a couple of years ago. I'm actually going to have this conversation with her kids in the upcoming weeks mm-hmm. to pick one day. What I did was I took my ex-wife's mother's birthday because my ex-wife's mother was really the one who broke us up. And you know, I actually owe her now, mm-hmm. but I'd use her birthday. And every year I'd ask myself, am I in a better place than I was last year? Mm-hmm. And I held myself to that for the last 20 years. Am I better this year than I was last year? And every year I was able to say yes, because every year I did what you did. I always reached a little higher. Yeah. Am I in better shape? Is my mind a little clearer? Yes. Am I am I not letting her live rent-free in my head and having arguments with them 24-7? Mm-hmm. One of the differences, yet extremely similar, was I didn't exist in that house. I wasn't mentioned. I wasn't talked about. I wasn't involved in any decision-making. Mm. which is funny when you hear how controlling I must be. And then you're kind of like, what have I ever controlled in your life? Right. That projection that you're describing is so common, so very common. And it's not just alienating parents who do that project. They're, most of the people that do that are very narcissistic and they have borderline personality. Some of them are psychopaths. Very common for people to project onto others what their behavior is. Mm-hmm. So it's just a denial. And a, some actually have disassociation disorder where they have two personalities. and They, they actually can believe what they're saying. Uh, so it's some, some of it's really a mental illness. I couldn't do it myself. I couldn't. I would be mad at myself if I ever tried to pull one over and blame somebody else or what I do. Mm-hmm. One other thing that you brought up was making sure every day or every year you look back. Another part of that, at least in my life, was I was kind of angry at God for this. God, why would you take, I help your children, I help kids. Why would you take mine away from me? And we're like little kids laying on our grandmother's big carpeting when we're four years old. We see this little, uh, one little knit thing, and then we get older, we walk on it, and we say, oh, that makes a huge big carpet, you know? It's much bigger than what I saw. Mm-hmm. You know, you just said you got a fresh start, a new start. That is huge. And with me, just four years ago, I was done with my writing. I was, I'll go sell fish somewhere on the sea, you know? Somehow, out of my muck and mire, this thing in the last couple of years, I'm all of a sudden have a platform with all these great people around me to speak freely about what's what happened. 
I don't have to fight for it. Right. <laughs> They're asking me to tell about there's other things besides mind over, you know, matter. There's, hey, look at my whole life. You know, you said it the first off the bat, or I got a new start, you know, and it's a joy. But sometimes we don't think about that because it's so in front of us. You know, we don't think of it. Wow, look what's happened in my life circumstantially. You know, there's a lot of times you have to do stuff you don't want to do or not say things you want to say. It's tough. One last comment on that is when I was a foster parent, one of the things that we had to train on before we were ever allowed to work with a kid, even talk to a kid, was we had to go out of state for a month. And for 30 straight days, we had to role play eight hours a day on reversing the way that we think and the way we approach people and comment and what words we speak. And that translated into every single time we had an interaction with a kid that was in our care, we had to document that we made at least 10 positive statements to every one critical statement. Every week we had point cards for the kids. Mm -hmm. They would go over the ratios. And if we were even seven positives to one, they would pull us to sign, you know, you're a little bit short. On the, and I, at first I was like, what is the big deal, you know? But I didn't realize, man, I was used to just speaking all negative all day about my life. I would just look at what's wrong. I can find what's wrong every minute. I had to train my brain, or they did to see what's good in every day when I wake up. You know, I'm so glad I, I'm not ill today. I'm not sick. There's a guy my age that lost his legs and he's, I am thankful that I can go walk around. There's things we take for granted. So that's a whole nother uh, mindset to get into that really will change the way, because words have power. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I was one of them. They used to walk around. They go, I'm just never going to have that. I'm never, you know, I never did have it because I just told myself I'm never going to have your, your voice is kind of predicting your future. Even to this date, I check myself when I start getting caught up in the negatives. Let me stop here and, and review how awesome the last three years of my life has become, even though I'm missing my heart. Mm -hmm. My heart's missing temporarily. There's a vacancy there, but the rest of it is coming together very nicely. And I'm not the author of this puzzle. I have no way to put this together. Yeah. So yeah, there's a lot of components that go into this. It's never going to be simple, but it's doable, I believe, with all my heart. So that you can still come out of it and have a great relationship with your children if you don't ruin it yourself. <laughs> I don't believe anybody else can ruin it for you. Yeah. If you allow them to, they can. If you buy into it, take the bait. They pull you in to the same thing in the muddy water they're swimming in. You're just two muddy swimmers to the kids. Absolutely. Who knows who's guilty? That's my personal strategy, and, and I feel good about that. I feel peaceful about that. I don't feel peaceful about bad-mouthing anybody. No. Well, my youngest, the youngest, the oldest, and I had our heart-to-heart. -heart. She said, do you know what I really wish, Dad? I wish somebody cared about the kids during this. Because everybody was there to console the parents. Out of the mouth of babes. She was a victim of domestic violence, allegedly. Mm. I was a victim of domestic violence, allegedly. We'll just do that across the board, right? Yeah. And the poor kids are in the middle. Yeah. And everyone's, oh, poor mom. All my friends are like, oh, she's a bitch. All her friends are like, he's an asshole. But nobody cared about the kids. Well, yep. obviously everyone cared about the kids, but not to the extent my daughter needed. And that that hurt me to know that. How old was she when you had that conversation? Uh, 18, about three weeks ago. That's so much insight. Uh, out of the mouth of babes, you know, mm -hmm. 18 years old. She sees that and there's 50 year olds that don't even see it. To that point, I have said forever and ever to myself, how can somebody who's shielding their children from a, a non-abusive person, hiding them, blocking them from talking bad about them. How can anybody not see, take their eyes off the person they're accusing and see what they're doing is so severely abusive to those children by putting them in a position that they have to emotionally choose. They get physically sick and parents who make their kids go before the judge and choose when you go, well, I'm going to put them before they're going to pick me. Oh my God. I never got that. I never got that. I was never going to do that to my kids anyway, as much as I wanted them to live with me. And today I'd still want them to live with me, but yeah, I was never going to do that. Yeah. That's what they were doing to my daughters at eight and 10 years old. They they were ready to judge, ready to let them testify. I said, no, I give, I surrender. 
that's such a permanent and traumatic experience because I've seen it with my foster kids. It is so tormenting for a child to have to choose. And I just feel like, again, if you don't engage in that, and yeah, let them have the victory. If as long as they're not in danger, let them have the victory for the moment. When the kids get older and start doing their own thinking, they'll realize, man, that was kind of a bad situation I was in. But he wasn't involved in that. You know, that was her or him or whoever it was. Right. I don't want to be in the guilty party in that case because I wasn't guilty of it. I don't want to be associated with that to my kids. Now, do you see your girls? No, no. I haven't talked to him. I haven't seen him. In, I haven't talked to him or seen him. And how long? Oh, four and a half years. Oh, God. I'm sorry. And they live 30 miles from here. Oh, man. The boundaries are set by the local law enforcement and my ex-wife that if, if and if I don't attempt to see him, if I make a wrong move, they'll just call and report me again and again and again. That, not so much that's what I'm willing to not see my kids because I, I'm not willing to put my kids through that. I felt like I had enough time, enough years. I spent much time with my, my girl all the time. They're not going to just forget about me. Uh, and I know that. I, I trust that by the good five or seven years we had together all the time, that will be what they'll remember. No, regardless of what they're told, there's got to be a point where they realize, why am I not allowed to talk to this person? You know, they can look up on the internet and see if I got a violent record or something. They can do that research at some point. And then not everybody's going to agree with that. And there, there are probably dads out there who say, that's ridiculous. I, I understand that. I never thought I'd go a week without seeing it, without going crazy. And it's been a very hard thing. But Again, there's been inserted in my life a different set of circumstances to tend to to help other people in the situation that has made me realize, you know, maybe for this period of time, it's been set aside for me that my children are safe, but I also have a duty to help these kids until we reunite. This is how I feel in my case. Now, you think they'd arrest you for sending them birthday cards or presents or nightly phone calls or something like that? I'm just throwing that out. I don't have any no contact with my children at all, any orders. Their mother works at their school. She took a job at school. She's with them all day. She's with them all night. She takes them to the dance. There's never any time. If I try to do that, I am sure that their mother would probably think of a way to say, well, you know, he saw me over at the store. And uh, then the next day he mailed a present to her. So I think she was trying to send me a message. There's just no telling. They've already shown me the, the court system. The district attorney has shown me, even if they believe that I made a phone call and hung up, which I proved I didn't, they will not even take me to court for because I know I didn't. If they're willing to do that. My ex took a job right next door to my kid's school. It was such a pain in the ass. <laughs> I mean, why did she have to keep a sheltering over those kids? If you were an abusive person hurting them and she was really worried about their safety, I, I get it. But that's not the case in 99% of the cases. Why are they having to keep their hands and their thumbs on these children? That should be pretty obvious to the people in the courts, but it just is not the way it goes. They don't see that. And you're in the industry. Yeah. You see it. You see the good kids, the lost kids, the kids whose parents didn't yeah. give a shit, and the kids whose parents maybe did but got them taken. Yeah. I had a stepdaughter when I got married. She was seven. Her biological father, well, he was a five-time convicted felon, violent crime. Throughout my whole marriage, my ex-wife drove her and dropped her off for the weekends with him. No problem. Never mentioned. I brought it up. She's like, are you sure you weren't? You know, <laughs> yeah, he's fine. Well, the, when I went with her the last time she was 12 to pick her up from his apartment, the SWAT team was there arresting him while she was there. This oh. whole SWAT team was arresting him on his sixth violent crime charge in front of his daughter. It never seems to occur. I brought this up in court to tell you, you know, even if I was a violent man, I couldn't be as bad as this guy. And she, it's just kind of one ear and out the other because it's not about that. The decisions are made based on other things. Like, you know, who's the senior judge? What's in it for me? It seems like today's agenda in general is to divide families at any cost. There's no money in reunited families. Correct. There's no business in that. Correct. There's a lot of business in institutionalizing foster care, courts, lawyers. Uh, it's not a conspiracy theory. It's You can look that stuff up.
Divorce is a $6 billion industry. I think it was $6 billion last year. Yeah. That's crazy. It is. You follow the money. The greatest thing that we, people can do is what you're doing, what everybody in this organization is doing, is just to calmly share the information. You can't just go out there and act crazy and expect people to want to believe you when there's, you're telling everybody that that person's crazy, but you're acting stupid. You just got to go out there and present the truth and believe that at some point, the bigger you get as presenting and more people you reach, they're going to start believing it because it's just simple truth. There's no manipulation. There's no media bias. There's no cover. It's just the truth. At some point, the truth will penetrate. And that's one of the things we're hoping why Daddy Never Cries accomplishes, that maybe a kid out there hears a dad's voice on the show and is like, that's dad's side of the story? And I didn't know that. I just thought he was a scumbag, alcoholic, drug addict who, uh, you know, was a womanizer on top of that and abusive. Absolutely. You're right on track. I think you're doing a wonderful thing that's probably just this big compared to how big it's going to be very shortly. It's, it's just needed. Thank you, brother. Yeah, no, I mean, you're doing, you guys are doing great work. And that's why I was excited to be on here because I love to connect with people who are doing pure, raw, heartfelt things are not retaliatory. You know, you're trying to get to the bottom of things. So here's a perfect segue for this. You are a social worker. Yes. You're at the front lines. However, to our group in that situation, you're the enemy. Mm -hmm. Yes. You're the one I have to prove myself to. Can you offer some tips to our dads out there? Now, everyone's jammed up. Every Guys, listen, we're all pissed off. We're all in a place we don't want to be. We all had to either take time off from work or can't even get a job because of the shit going on. Yeah. Our minds are fucking mush. Now we've got to go see a social worker. We've got to go see a lawyer. we got to go see the judge. These are the people who are the gatekeepers to our children. And TJ is going to help us now learn how to deal with them. There, there's a great question. And even Megan Walsh, she'll post things and say, these social workers, but she doesn't mean it personally, but in general, yeah. Mm-hmm. Since I've been writing and doing this for 20 years, everybody I've ever coached individually or counsel, even in groups that I've taught, here's what I say. You have to know what the parameters are, what they're allowed to do and not allowed to do before they ever get to your door, before they're ever called. You have to know so you can do some preventive work. For example, if a social worker or any other workers feel they're in danger or they're in danger of hurting somebody else because of the father, that's justification to take them out and do an assessment, which means who knows how long they'll be gone, maybe years, maybe. Okay. The parent who's even before they get concerned about it, even if there's not in a divorce, should always have some documentation, some witnesses, a school teacher, people that document for them. Hey, have you seen any issues? I want to make sure that my child's doing right. Is she doing, he doing good in school? Behavior's good. Any, any complaints about anything? And to have them document that. If that day ever pops open, uh, there will be nothing. No social worker can just write a quick statement and say, I feel they're going to hurt their child when there's five statements from everybody they're with all day saying they're doing great. Okay, that's one thing. The other thing is to have a good understanding of how the system works and why they would get that knock on the door, whether it be by other parent who's trying to you know, manipulate the system. Like they should always be aware if you ever going through a divorce and even sense that this might happen immediately, get somebody, get witnesses around you. I, you know, you don't ever do anything alone. If you if you can you be with somebody all the time with your children for that period of time, if you can never open the opportunity, the door for that one time to happen where nobody sees it and they can accuse you some. Mm-hmm. I'll give you an example of my own life. I had my children or my boys were like five and seven. My ex-wife had accused me again of all these violent things and continually harassing me. And then one day she called me in between these courts. Hey, I'm going to Montana to visit my boyfriend. So I'm going to drop the kids off for a month. I said, okay, great. Yeah. They came, she dropped them off and then she decided to stay two months. Now keep in mind, she's in courts telling how dangerous I am to even leave them unsupervised with me. Mm-hmm. Forgot about that. And she just decided she wanted to go visit her boyfriend. Left him for a month. I said, well, you know, um, I think I'll go visit DCF with my children and just document this to the DCF worker with my boys on my lap. 
Right. And I did. And I said, you know, I just have been getting all these accusations and here they are with me for a month. What should I do? Can you document this here? And she said, I'll do better than that. Let's give her a phone call right now. I want to see what she has to say. And she had all the records. She called her right in front of me through the glass window and told her, if I ever hear of you making a report against this man again, when you left him for a month with him, either you're going to jail for endangering them or you're going to jail for lying about him. Okay. That's a good social worker. And that was the end of that. That's a great social worker. Yeah. And that you don't have to be a social worker to know to do that. That's why I coach people. If somebody doesn't know how to handle this, then I coach them on the side. I work with people all the time, you know, remotely uh, once or twice a week when they're going through this, they tell me where they're at. And I just tell them, here's how you prepare to avoid any possibility of this happening to you. Because most times the stuff that is preventable. Oh, yeah. Most times it could have been prevented. So it's just a matter of getting some knowledge, maybe grabbing onto somebody who had like me or somebody who has a little bit of experience and, and getting some advice, coaching through through that short window. And that, that'll make all the difference in the world because when somebody sees like a lawyer sees that you've done that, they will not go after you hardcore like they will if you've been just a solo guy hoping that you do well in court. Are you almost talking of controlling the narrative, getting there first? I'm talking about making the actual laws be really the law. Because what they do is they'll twist a law. Like, for example, a woman who says, I'm in fear for my safety because I feel like my husband's angry. And well, has he ever hurt you? No, but he could. Yeah. That's enough right there. If the worker feels that she's really in fear for they will remove that person from their house based on what they've been told just out of caution, right? That's enough to start that five-year thing rolling or, or longer of constant defending yourself. And you never want to be in that position of having to defend yourself. Yeah. You want to be in the position of saying, I'll be happy to come and present. So good things can happen when you just take a little bit of preventive time and measure to And the, people can contact me. I love to help people because I love to avoid having them go through things that I had to go through before I learned this yep. and watched other people suffer through for lack of knowledge. That's it. Just lack of knowledge. It's not because they had to do this. So there are definitely preventable ways. There's lots of ways to do it depending on the situation. Everyone's different. If law is involved, that's one thing. If you got social work, it's another thing. But the basic to answer your question, the law is the law. The goal is to make sure that whoever's trying to divide your family or you from your children is abiding by the law and not manipulating the law. And there's no way for them to do that. And you can do that very easily with documentation beforehand. You can't do it afterwards. Then you're just arguing with the law. Right. That's interesting. Document beforehand. Now, we have 50 states where we live, right? So there's 50 different laws for any given subject matter. We've got guys all over the world who are listening to the show. People are people, though. When they interact with a social worker, mm -hmm. anything you can tell a guy, body language, what to say, what not to say, I mean, maybe voice range, what would put you off as a social worker if a gentleman came in and sat down? It's real simple. There's two things that are immediate flags, okay? Our immediate decision makers, I should say. One is if somebody's overly defensive right off the bat telling me how they never did this, and it makes me feel like, why are they so defensive? Should I look into it a little more? That wouldn't make me necessarily take their kid away, but I'd want to at least check in personally. And on the other side, the best when people are real. You can be real and you can be confident in being real and answering questions if you've got the documentation to back it up. Yes. But if you don't, it doesn't matter what you say or what, what's true. If they want to write something down and say, well, I feel, what if that social worker, her husband said he was divorcing her today? She's pissed off. Maybe she's, he hates men today. Well, you know what? Screw him. He looked at me kind of weird. So you never want to be in that vulnerable position when nobody should ever feel, I hope this goes okay when they come over for this interview. They shouldn't be worried unless they did something wrong. Right. And if you did something wrong, you own it way before then. You check yourself into some sort of program. If you hurt somebody, you go do it and take care of it mm -hmm. right away. And now don't ever deny it unless it's false. Those two issues are the big red flags. Just, 
if somebody's confident in what they're telling me and I can see and look in their eye, they absolutely believe what they're telling me. There's no deception. Uh, and I can back that up with any. Could you have any documentation, sir, just so I can back that up, you know, from your teachers? Oh, sure. Here you go. You can call. That's that's pretty much it for me. I'll be done with them. But if somebody's constantly defending or and if they start bad mouthing the other person, then it's it's got to look into it because now you don't know who's telling. Right. So, yeah, don't do what the other person's doing to, to get you in that social work meeting. And if you've done something wrong, don't wait until the meeting to be called out on it because it's too late then. You know, if you've done something wrong, hopefully you haven't done anything serious. But if you did, if you if you slapped your kid when you were mad when he was nine and you shouldn't have. Hey, own it. Yeah. And say it was wrong. I'm going to uh, anger management for, you know, every night for, I admit it, you know, what, what else should I do social work? I want to make sure I never have a separation from my child. That's what you do if in the worst case, but normally it's really preparation. That is great advice. And I agree hundred percent with that because if you own it, I had a guy call up, he wanted to be on the show. We started talking, started doing the show and it turned out, well, he did hit his wife a couple of times. Yeah. Yeah. But he's sorry for it. I told him, I say, listen, brother, you can't be on the show because what we're doing here right. isn't what happened there. However, maybe she gets some help. And he goes, you think? And we talked about it. I'm not going to get into his specifics. Sure. He called me back while he's like, he's been going to help every night. And you know, his wife is accepting that he's doing the help and the kids are happier with him. And you're right. If you're alcoholic, you quit drinking. If you're abusive, there's help. There's a whole lot less fireworks when you just admit it and get help than there is when you constantly defend and deny and deny and deny because then they just keep digging and digging and you keep defending and it never ends. Just to add something you said, I've had probably 10 or 15 cases that I've had people call me for help, not just because they need coaching on that, but because they did do something wrong. Mm-hmm. Here's what you got to do. If you need resources to get into a program, get into this program so you can get this under control first. And then if you do that and you complete that and I can verify it and you have proven to the uh, program manager that you've made progress, I will personally call your court representative on your day of court. I will call the social worker who's trying to ask you and I'll tell them, look, I've got all the evidence that he's done what he needs to do. I know the law just like you do. And I'll tell them straight up. I'm more than willing to back somebody if they do what they're supposed to do. If they're showing an effort, make, yeah, absolutely. It's not over. There are people that make stupid mistakes. You know, I've made stupid mistakes in other areas. I thank God I just haven't ever had that issue of anger with my children. I just couldn't hit them. But or, or anybody, I'm just not a violent person. But I know that people grew up that way. If you have, for whatever reason, own it. But when you're dealing with somebody like me who's done that, I can call and ask to be in the hearing and say, you know, Judge, I personally have walked with this guy through seven weeks or eight weeks of this. Spoken to a supervisor. He's made this much progress. He's, I feel that he's not a threat to his child as long as his wife is with him for the first month. And then from there, I feel like he'd be okay. He's not had any recurring incident. Whatever the treatment plan is, right? That they're good with that. I mean, that's all they want. They're legitimate even, judges. They just want to know they're protected if they release somebody back in with their kids. And if you give them a laid out plan and I call the other social worker or whoever's on their case, and if they're not being fair and I say, look, you know, let's just keep it real here. You know, this guy is not going to lose the child. I'll, I'll stay on this till he doesn't. So if you want to do this the hard way, we can do the hard way. And they never have ever bucked me on it right? because they know I'm telling the truth and they know it's just a phone call. So there's lots people can do. Men should never be feeling like it's over. Whoever's listening to this and thinking, yeah, but you don't know my situation. There's only one situation where you might have to be separated from your kids a long time and maybe go to jail. If you did beat somebody and you beat your child or you hurt somebody, you know, that's a you committed an act of violence on somebody and you're guilty. The law is a law. You're not going to just pretend it didn't happen, but you can salvage much of that emotional pain by taking responsibility, getting your treatment, getting your help, and, and reuniting with your loved ones. They, they do take you back if you show that you realize you're wrong. The people that want to take people back are the ones who say, 
they never admitted they're wrong. They still won't admit that they, you know, stabbed me three times, but they, they don't ever want to see them again. I wholeheartedly believe, and I'm not a lawyer, so please understand when you're listening to this, you shouldn't plead guilty to something you didn't do. Right. Never. Eventually, your kids might be looking for that apology. But now, do we apologize for something we never did just to save the relationship? I've got a few documents all put together in order, chronological order. If the day ever comes, well, one of my children says, I don't know what to believe, Dad. This is free open. This is public record for you to read if you want. I've kept track of it. I, you don't have to believe me. And I got it for them to read right there. It's funny. I call it the shoebox. My buddy's dad actually left the shoebox for him. Never talked about the divorce, but left him the shoebox with everything his mother did. Mm. And he didn't get it till after his dad died. Yeah, that's uh, that's a tough thing. And and uh, I didn't make this thing. I want to force them to ever look at it. I got a text from my ex before the final hearings were over saying, why don't you get a ride down to New Smyrna Beach where we are and see the kids at the park? Okay. This was on the 29th, I think of August or something years ago. I couldn't, I couldn't go there that day. So I said, well, that same afternoon, two hours after she sent me that, she was at the courthouse petitioning for filing an injunction of protection against me. The same day, I have the two documents side by side. I brought them in the court judge. She's invited me to the park here and then filing an injunction. Which is it? But again, that means nothing in court sometimes if you don't have a legitimate crew. Right. But if you've got in your records everything that happened, like the six months I had to wait to get a trial, which never took place. I stand proud to say to my kids if they ever ask me, hey, I didn't do it. I didn't plead guilty. Here's the public record. You can see it yourself. I never pled guilty. So, yeah, you're right. You don't plead guilty to something mm -hmm. because you just want to end it quickly. That's not a good idea, you know, ever, ever. Yeah. Down the road, bite you in the ass. It could affect you, your work and your employment. Yeah. And, you know, I don't cookie cutter any group of professionals. Like not all cops are bad or not all lawyers, but there are some really, really sketchy lawyers. And even if they present well, they have their connections and they go to lunch with the same judges and the same people. They already know the end result before many clients do, regardless of what they tell them. Mm -hmm. So the guy who might feel good and trustworthy with his lawyer said, I know I trust him. He's great. He told me, just take this and that way you won't have to deal with it. And then a year later, you know, he's lost everything, not seen his kids. And he, he realizes that was just bogus advice to get the agenda met. Yeah, it was good for the lawyer because he wanted to go away that weekend and didn't want to read your papers. And the lawyer's friends with the judge or the ju or the other lawyer. There, there's all these connections that we don't think about that outside of the courtroom. They're, they're all interacting with each other. There's connections that it's going to go one way all the time, regardless of what you do. You just don't want to ever enter that cycle. Right. But prevention to answer your question is a great question, and people need to get this. You can't stress this enough. Is prevention is the key to ever having to worry about any work or anybody coming to your house, CPS, DCF. If you've done nothing wrong, you got nothing to hide, just have it documented from other people than you, people that see your children every day. If it's possible, say, social worker, can I have the teacher come in for this meeting? Or I'll tell you what, that will cut 50% of the accusations from a social worker out of the picture if there's a witness there that's not in the family. That's not in the family. Good. Yeah. And that's why I step in. If somebody's doing their part, I will call periodically before the thing's over reminding the other worker, the lawyer, that I'm still here. I've got a platform. I can just show everything that's going on. If you don't, that's enough usually to keep them on the straight and narrow for the most part. I've never had anybody really buck the system on me because it doesn't pay off for them to do that. It'll pay if they can get away with it and nobody knows. But we, you and I and other people have platforms where we can share this information with people. Right. And they don't really like that. It is the age of accountability. That's for sure. You're absolutely right about it doesn't matter about the law. It's the people involved because who was that famous lawyer from the seventies? Don't tell me the law. Tell me the name of the judge. Oh God. What was his name? Yeah. You, uh, I know, but judge Judy just said the other day, I just 26, she made a quote and probably she said, somebody asked her why judges have closed courtrooms. 
And she said, well, dirty judges have closed courtroom because they don't want people to know what they're saying. Honest judges don't have closed courtroom. And I was like, that's the smartest thing I've ever heard from a judge. <laughs> it's just the truth, not just the legal system. It's the way our world works. You can pick any industry, practically. There's going to be some ugly parts to it. The best advice is make sure you learn what those ugly circles are and avoid them. I would never go even anywhere near the area where my ex-wife was during this without somebody with me, a friend of mine in the car. She would lean in the car if I was alone. And then, hey, what's going on? I go, oh, my God. He just left. You run around the parking lot and be like, oh, my God. I couldn't handle that. It happened to me once that time. It stuck with me for a year that somebody could even do that. So, yeah, protect yourself. Have people around you. Have statements written. Have people that know your kids and know everything they do on a day-to-day basis and document the key points. Hey, Mrs. Teacher, have you ever seen a bruise or any kind of a mark on my son? Because I want to know if you have, tell me the truth. And if she says, no, of course not. Could you document that for me just so I have that? If you got nothing to hide, there's nobody's going to have a problem writing that. I mean, or whatever else you might be accused of that you hear, you're hearing through the grapevine, you're going to be accused of, beat them to the punch. Because if you don't, whatever they make up is going to hold in court. Now, what about the guys who don't know? It hits them out of left field. All of a sudden, they just catch their wife cheating on them. They confront them. And then the next thing they know, they're in handcuffs because they're abusive. And now their wife has the house. Yeah. Are you saying if somebody does respond inappropriately and is violent or doesn't and just gets arrested for no reason? No, gets arrested for no reason, but doesn't see it coming. You know, the silver bullet. Yeah. For those guys, they're blindsided. They can't get ahead of the narrative. Mm -hmm. What do we do? So they're already in it. They're already they're already maybe arrested. You're in it. You're defensive. Okay. You're arrested. You're automatically the bad guy. You got the order of protection hanging out of your wife's purse like mine used to do. Right. So wherever you go now, the order of protection, that little blue piece of paper is just sticking out just enough that people go, oh. That happened to me. That's what happened to me. I was angry as could be. I was. I had to get myself together and say, you know what? There's going to be a time in the future where they're going to ask them how I responded, how I acted to the cops when they came, how, they, how I rode in the car to the way to jail. I was a perfect angel. I didn't say a word. Yes, sir. No, sir. I'd rather wait. I just was very polite. Mm -hmm. I wasn't argumentative. And that showed up when it came time that the DA dropped the charges. And part of it was probably because I had no history even of acting out when I was arrested. It was just calm, calm. It's hard to prove a guy's violent when he's been calm, calm, calm when he was arrested falsely. Yeah. But if you are going off the chain and say, I was wrong, you know, yeah, I'm a mother. I mean, it's just as easy. It's like you don't need Columbo for this. You know, the guy goes in court and says, look, you got arrested. Look what he did. Who knows what he does at home with his kids? Exactly. He's screaming at a six foot four cop. What's he going to do to a four foot two kid? Right. You got to be thinking. You got to be some critical thinking, use some self-control. If you're worried, if it happens to you, if it has happened to some guy that's listening and he's right just in that mess from this moment on, don't speak without thinking. Don't speak without contemplating what your children are going to suffer down the road because you saying or doing something. If you commit a crime right now with your mouth or strike somebody and you have to go to jail, it's going to be massive consequences. Think about that before. You, it, it can't get any worse than it is if you if you don't make it any. You can deal with what it is right now. Maybe it's a fluke. Hey, you know, I'm sorry. I don't know what happened to me. But look at the last year, Judge. I've never had any problems. I wouldn't. That's much better than, yeah, he's not changed much in the last year. You know, he's got two charges on him and. That doesn't, it just doesn't work. You got to use your head. And a lot of parents are so emotional. I love my kids more than anything in the world, believe me. But you cannot let your emotions decide what your actions are because that never is valid. Our heart doesn't make good decisions when we're upset and hurting. We need to stop, talk to somebody who's neutral about it before we ever say anything to any lawyers, any judges, or anything in public. That's the number one recommendation I would make. Everything else is a case by case. And like I said, I've worked with quite a few people in those kind of scenarios. And 90% of the time, if they've done what I've asked them, and they mostly have, 
but they just didn't know what to do because I could stop them and say, before you get angry, then they were able to say, oh, okay, what? But if nobody says that to them and helps them through, they usually kind of just fall off the wagon and the anger thing. So yeah, it's doable. I would just tell somebody to be quiet until you do what you got to do, then reach out to somebody you trust, you know, or ask somebody for a referral to somebody that is good at what they do and will walk you through this and they have a successful past doing it. That's all the difference in the world. Now, TJ, do you have any social media where people could reach out to you? My email that I use for people is don't label my kid one at gmail.com. That's just a straight email directly to me. I also have a um, triage trauma team. We do Mondays on the Awake Nation, which I think I sent you the link to. Mm-hmm. That's another avenue. People can access me uh, through there. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Twitter all the time. It's uh, TJP4Kids at Twitter. Nice. So yeah, I'll send you the links to that. And anybody, please reach out to somebody for any reason. Just don't think you can do it on your own because we are all vulnerable in those moments. You need other people. And so, yeah, I definitely encourage, and I'll send you some other resources, and I've got other resources if they're different circumstances. And let me throw this and going to shock everybody listening. This is something that men can do that they don't do very often that I've done and successfully, and I don't regret it. There are just as many men who are bullshitting about stuff that there are as women. Okay, that's just the facts, okay? I have made a point just to demonstrate I'm against this lying crap in general. I don't care what race or gender you are. I have stepped up in a platform for women like you have for women and backed up a case where a woman was lied to over and over or beat by her husband and stuck up for that woman and said, this is wrong. Because the problem with having only men and women's group is that we've already eliminated 50% of our potential support group. Absolutely. And the courts are already looking to divide us. So we, we walk in there divided already. It can't be just gender. There's nothing wrong. It's great that you have a group of men because they're experiencing something different than a group, but you can't be opposed to supporting. So women should be doing that, cross-promoting, supporting men. Women, men need to step up. It sure wouldn't hurt a man who's being accused of something to go and support women who have been legitimately wrong and say, I stand up for this because I am not guilty of it and I was accused of it. And I don't want this to happen. It's nothing better you can do. You're standing up and speak about it. Help other people in that position. If you can't do anything at the moment for yourself, go out there and, and help others. So I mentioned the same thing on uh, our very first episode, why we need why daddy never cries. And you're right. No. You can't do it alone, but you can't exclude the other gender, sex, race, creed, color, religion, or anything because false allegations, parent alienation doesn't discriminate. Right. That's right. It's a mental health disease that people are using to hurt our kids. And I tell both sides, the women who like gossip, what happened to you? Oh my God, not even verifying it. They'll tell all their friends that you were a victim of death. And the guys have a different mode that's sometimes even uglier. And I tell them, look, I don't want to be around you. You're not part of what I'm doing. What happens when a guy or a woman steps up and supports the other gender and, and publicly, it filters out the gossipers and the bullshitters. They're not going to show up for all these things because they're, they're just in it for the temporary party. Yeah. So it kind of filters as a natural way of filtering out people that are really not being straightforward. And that's straightforward is you got to be honest, you know, whether you're a man or you got to just be be truthful. There's a lot of different ways you can do things depending on your situation. There's always something to do though. And there's always nothing that's going to help if you don't get out, if you don't talk to anybody. You got to reach out and say, I need some help. I don't know what to do. And trust somebody that you can verify that is trustworthy. Somebody that's been there and done it. Put your trust in them because you sure don't know what to do. We don't know what to do when we're in that position. We're, we're not even thinking straight. You know, that's a lot of information. There, there are things you can do. 
brother, there's a gentleman out there or a lady out there who's going to have just pop this episode on out of the blue, hear that advice, and it's going to save their family. So no, there's there's never too much advice here. Absolutely. Please, uh, you know, if I can't help somebody, if somebody is hearing this and they reach out to you and it's not me, that's good for them. Uh, you know, I'll provide resources, uh, whatever you tell me. If, if I have it, I'll provide other resources, maybe that are in a little different category, whatever. Do something, but don't just be helpless. Don't go into the battle unarmed. We're already disarming ourselves with our brain half the time when we're emotionally involved. We need somebody to level us out, you know? Right. So that's critical. You know, and so I hope that people are, are really taking that seriously. Even if you've already screwed up, guys, or whatever, and you've done the wrong thing already, it's never too late to go back and, and say, okay, I, I did mess up, then I messed up again, but I'm not going to do it again. You don't have to continue that pattern, you know? Yeah. So it's never too late. TJ, I want to thank you very much for being on the Why Daddy Never Cries podcast. This was amazing, brother. Thank you for the advice. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I'd love to come back. And you got anything I can do to help anybody, or any, I'll put links in or whatever you need, just let me know. All right. Thank you, brother. I'll talk to you soon. Yes, sir. Thank you. Man, after 25 years of working for the system, TJ saw just how quickly it would turn its back on you just to save its own skin. And that's why controlling the narrative, or even better yet, controlling yourself, is paramount to your success. If you see an injustice in the courtroom, raise those red flags immediately. You got to protect yourself. The age of accountability is upon us, ladies and gentlemen, and good parents are here to collect. Make sure you're on the right side of this. Again, it doesn't matter your gender. If you've been falsely accused or are a victim of parent alienation, then we stand with you. But you have to take care of yourself. You have to know the laws in your area. And if your spouse wants to move to a place where men pay alimony for life just for no reason, that might be a red flag. I'm just saying. At the end of the day, this is a billion dollar business. And people don't like to lose money, especially easy money. So be careful out there. Because you never know who's making a living off of your family's pain. We heard about the different types of tools parents use to alienate their kids. And just how easy it is to erase the other parent's name from a household. This is something social workers and judges have to acknowledge and stop from happening. What do we do? We don't make our children choose between their parents. It's not fair to them, man. We'll bear the brunt of that burden. It's just not fair to them. And how do we accomplish this? How do we grow strong enough to bear these burdens? By striving to be better every day. We document our progress, and we hold ourselves to a higher standard on being a better person than we were the year before. We can blame other people, social workers, cops, lawyers, because there are good and evil in every profession. Keep in mind, the officer arresting you might actually understand false allegations. They might even empathize because they've gone through them as well. But you acting the fool could prevent them from writing you a favorable arrest report. Don't assume every cop, lawyer, and social worker or judge is against you. Some are on our side and more are coming around by the day. And if you need to relax, if you need to control your narrative, think about box breathing and its effects over the mind and body. Learn these techniques now. Use them now. Gain control of the narrative. And having box breathing in your toolbox will come in handy more than just with your family. All right, Joe, take us home. We must get our voices out there. Send us your stories to Why Daddy Never Cries at Gmail or Why Daddy Never Cries on Facebook. Remember, this is a daily and sometimes hourly struggle. So follow us on Daddy Never Cries at Twitter and Why Daddy Never Cries on Instagram and let your voice be heard. Let's end the fatherless children syndrome that's plaguing this world. The team of Why Daddy Never Cries consists of Joe, the voice of reason, Nicole Kelleher, and Scott Hall. Thanks, everybody. You can't change what happened to you, brothers. What you can control, however, is how you react to every situation. So you got to figure out how to make it work for you.
When life gave me lemons, I said to hell with the glass. I'm making an international lemonade franchise. So until next time, you've got this, Daddy. Don't know me.